As we are gathered here at the Lord's table this morning, I'd like to speak for a few moments on the theme of uh, scattering and gathering, scattering and gathering. Uh, apart from the actual uh, taking and eating and taking and drinking, uh, one of the most meaningful parts of the, the liturgy of the Lord's Supper to me is the prayer of thanksgiving. And uh, in, the, in the Reformed tradition anyway, and, and I'm sure in other traditions as well, one of the, the lines in the prayer goes, as the grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf. It's a prayer for the unity of the church and uh, the grapes of many hills into one cup. So may your church be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. So the, the, the loaf is a sign to us of, of the gathering, among other things, a gathering of the, the people of God, or at least even though it is primarily a sign of Christ's broken body, in the partaking of it, we realize that it was given for his church, and even in the, in the bread, uh, we are reminded of the gathering of the church. But you really can't take the bread without thinking about scattering. After all, how did the grain from many fields get into the many fields? Somebody scattered it there. Today, they, you know, they drill it with you know, expensive machinery. But in Jesus' day, uh, the grain was scattered out. The sower would go out and reach into his bag and fling it. It was scattered. So gathering and scattering. Very different actions, in some ways uh, diametrically opposed, moving in completely different directions, doing, uh, accomplishing completely different things, and yet in the, the wisdom and the, the grace and, and power of God, God brings these together in that, that there, is no, there is no scattering without gathering in view. And it is God's way, often, uh, contrary to what we might, might imagine, uh, it is God's way to take those that he has gathered and scatter them to continue his saving work in the world. This is a, a theme that we encounter th uh, throughout the scripture. I wanted to um, share as we get started a scripture from, I think I need to go back here, yep, Jeremiah. Beautiful passage of the New Covenant in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. Not, uh, not a lot of cheery passages in Jeremiah, but this is one of the great ones. Jeremiah chapter 31, promise of the New Covenant. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord. Israel was scattered. They were scattered in judgment. They were scattered among the nations, taken away from the promised land. They were put in the promised land to be a blessing to the nations, but they were not faithful to God, and so God scattered them to judge them. And yet, even in doing that, God was preparing to bless them, but also by scattering, scattering them among the nations, God was blessing the nations. You read the stories of Daniel and Esther, and you find out that 
while God is punishing his people by scattering them and preparing them to bring them back as a new people, he's also blessing the nations. In the, the book of Acts, which we're going through this summer, we have this same dynamic of gathering and scattering. In the first chapters of Acts, as uh, we've noted, there's a great gathering. Day of Pentecost, 3,000 people are gathered to the Lord. And that's chapter 2. You go to chapter 4, there's 5,000 by the time you get to chapter 4. You get to chapter 6 and they, they need deacons for this church of more than 5,000 because there's a lot of uh, widows and some of the Greek-speaking widows are being neglected in the distribution of relief. So they need, they need deacons to help take care of the widows. So they choose seven, seven fellows to take care of the relief of, of the widows. And when that happens, it says at the end of that that the, uh, the church, the number of disciples increased even more in Jerusalem. So, and we also know that uh, from the very beginning, they are together. They keep growing, but they, keep, they stay together. Daily in the temple, house to house, they gather around the word of God, around the breaking of bread around the, the sharing of, of resources, generous giving, and around the prayers. They're always together. And what does God do? One of the deacons named Stephen is put on trial. And in his defense, he steps on some toes pretty hard. And the result is that the Sanhedrin that's put him on trial is so angry that they drag him outside the city and stone him, execute him. So the opposition that we saw last Sunday, uh, is don't preach about Jesus anymore, this uh, is not raised quite a few notches to the point of, uh, of uh, murderous anger. And what happens? Acts chapter 8, the beginning, uh, first verse, and there arose on that day, the day of Stephen's martyrdom, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So they're, uh, they're scattered and the immediate scattering takes people into Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Vince reminded us early on, this is the outline for the, the progress of the gospel. You will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, there's over 5,000 there by the time you, you come to Acts chapter 8. Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria. How does the gospel get from Jerusalem from, into Judea and Samaria? Primarily through persecution. And it's, it's not that the apostles have failed to plan. It's not that they're, uh, that they're, uh, you know, that they're spending their time uh, trying to work out a master plan. You know, how do we get the gospel out? Uh, they're not working on that. They're working on building this community. They're, will, they're working on, on strengthening and creating this kind of community where people are together and they are devoted to the word, to the breaking of bread, to the, the coin, to the communion, the, the uh, communion of saints, to the, to the prayers. 
to worship. That's what they're do- They're building this kind of community. That's what they're focused on. It's not like, the, you know, they're planning how do we get the gospel out. They're focusing on what they understand they're calling to be. And the Holy Spirit takes the gospel out. The Holy Spirit takes it out, uh, overruling the, the wickedness and the evil of persecution. And the gospel goes to Judea and Samaria. It goes even farther. So if you fast forward to Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen's, over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Hellenists are uh, Greeks. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So if you look at that last line, uh, a great many people were added to the Lord, which means they were added to the church, which is just an indication that this, this commitment to bring people together around the word of the Lord, around the breaking of bread, around uh, sharing life together, around the prayers, that as... Uh, As that community is scattered, they become the seed of creating community around the word wherever they go, wherever they go. And and now they're going, they're going to Cyprus, they're going, you know, Cyprus is an island, as you know, in the Mediterranean Sea. The gospel has moved out of Samaria. It's moved to the Mediterranean coast. And of course, the book of Acts ends with Paul uh, going to Rome. So the gospel indeed goes uh, to the ends of the earth in the course of the book of Acts. What I'd like to, to comment on as we uh, prepare to, to come to the table of the Lord are, are two dimensions that become clear around this, uh, this scattering and gathering. The first is that, as, I, as I've noted, the, the spread of the gospel does not come about because the apostles have got together and said, we need to develop a five-year plan to figure out how to evangelize the world. The apostles understood their calling to be to build a good church, a church characterized by those things I've repeated over and over again. That's what the apostles were committed to. They're, they're not strategizing. They're not making, you know, what should our, be the first step in our plan to get the gospel out. And I, I simply point this out uh, because we live in a culture, uh, and it's, uh, it's not just the church, but the church is this way largely because this is how our culture is. We live in a culture that values organization and planning. And I'm not, you know, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not preaching against planning this morning. Uh, but I think it is, it is really important to note that what the apostles do throughout the book of Acts in terms of the growth of the church, they're playing catch-up. 
They're trying to catch up with what the Spirit is doing. So it's not like they're the people with the master plan. They, they're committed to what they understand about the community that Jesus wants them to build. That's what they're focused on. And the Holy Spirit's just running way ahead of them. And so the, the, gospel, go, the gospel that goes down to Peter preaches to Cornelius, uh, a Gentile centurion, and his family become Christians, and, and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Jerusalem church says, oh, we better go down and see what's going on there. Find out if they're doing everything right. And then the gospel goes uh, to the, the Mediterranean coast, to Antioch. And, and, they, and the people taking the message who were scattered during the persecution, they're, they're so bold as to stop just sharing with Jewish people. They start sharing the message of their own accord. You know, they don't have a vision like Peter from heaven where God says, you know, I know it's hard for you, Peter, to talk to Gentiles, but I want you to do it anyway. These folks don't get a vision from heaven, apparently. They just think, this is this good news maybe for Gentiles too. Maybe we should just be sharing this with other folks and not just with our own folk, not just with our own kind. And the church in Antioch starts growing. And Jerusalem hears about it and says, what? We ought to go check this out, make sure that they're doing things right. And so they send Barnabas, and they picked the right guy to do that, didn't they? So the first point of encouragement would be that maybe churches in North America, our churches, could, could in the midst of all our planning, because our, our typical, typical way of, of operating is to say, well, let's sit around and, and get our plan. What should be our plan? What, what, what do you folks want to see happen? Well, let's put that in our plan. Let's plan to have these good things happen that we would like to see happen. And so we, we sketch out our plans, and then, we, and then we pray. God, we've made our plans. Now, now we need your Holy Spirit to come in here and bless them. And God's way of working quite often is to be out ahead of us and calling upon us to keep up or figure out what he's up to and try to get on board with that. Because the Holy Spirit really is working powerfully through the world. The Holy Spirit, even though, even though we live in one of the most resistant mission fields to the gospel, the uh, Holy Spirit's still working in, in North America. The Holy Spirit's still working in the United States. The Holy Spirit's still working even in some of our churches, but we've just, we're so focused on our plans and what we want to see happen that we don't pay much attention. Well, what's the Holy Spirit up to? And I'm not talking about, uh, you know, the, the mega churches that draw in lots and lots of people because only 25% of churches in North America are experiencing any kind of growth at all. And 24% of those are experiencing growth by transfer growth. Uh, people are, you know, they're just not quite happy where they are, and they hear and they see. Well, this church seems to have a lot going. Let's go there. Let's let's ride that wave. But there's not a lot of not a lot of people looking at. Well, what about the one percent of churches that are growing? What are they doing? Because usually it's just you know. Well, that looks. I don't know. That doesn't really look like church to me. <laughs> yeah. So it's a it's just a kind of a paradigm shift. Not that we quit planning, but that as part of our thinking, we just try to look a little farther out and say, I wonder what the Holy Spirit is up to. How would we find that out? 
And the second point that I, I want to make, uh, particularly as we think about the table, and I apologize for the clicking here. I don't know what I'm doing. Let's see if I can make that stop. Um, being together, being together. The believers were together. Um, and, and as I thought about this, they are, they are put together and then God scatters them. God's deeply committed to the church being together. But God in his, his providence and his wisdom and his grace is, uh, is willing to use the scattering of his church to uh, build the church, to grow the church. So that uh, at, the, at the very, uh, at the most basic level, I think there is a, a, a kind of challenge not to get so attached to the group, not, not to get so committed to your fellowship that the prospect that God might, God might call some of you to be his instruments to take the gospel somewhere else. Um, we should be open to that. I, I have a friend that I graduated seminary with. He went to a, a town in upstate New York, planted a church, and he, he retired from there last year. He's, he spent 40 years there. And the church that he planted, he said, I'm planting a church that will plant other churches. So every 10 years or so, they identified a bunch of people in their congregation and said, okay, you're going to go start another church. And, you know, you know, they have this tight fellowship, and it was, and a lot of, and the pushback is, no, we don't want to see you go, but they were committed to that. So there is a, there is a scattering that can, uh, can be seen, not, I don't like this place, I'm looking somewhere else, but I really love these people, and it's going to be hard to leave them but I think God's calling us to go and scatter so that more gathering can happen. Another, uh, another point that I, I'd like to kind of wrap up with is from uh, another book by uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The, the same year that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote uh, Cost of Discipleship, that was 1938. He was leading an underground seminary, an illegal seminary. Uh, for the Confessing Church in Germany. He wrote Cost of Discipleship, but he also wrote a little, little book called uh, Life Together, Gemeinsames uh, Leben, if you speak German. And the, uh, it's, a, it's a manual. It's really kind of a, a manual, a discipline for the, the people in the seminary community. But it's become one of the, the great uh, classics, Christian classics of the modern world. And the, the, he has, the first chapter is about being together as Christians. The first chapter is about community. The first point that he makes is that if we are privileged to live in the company of other Christians, if we are privileged to be together as Christians, we ought not to think of that as our right, and we ought not to think of that as the norm. He said, to be able to do this is nothing but grace. It is sheer grace that we are able to do this because for the most part, the trajectory of Christian experience uh, throughout history, and he starts with the Lord Jesus. He says most of the, the more common experience of the Christian life is in the direction of loneliness and isolation. So the first point that he makes about community, and of course they're living in a setting under the Nazis where they're illegal 
And there, you know, there's a big question mark over their future. But he just says, if we're able to gather with other Christians, we ought to be down on our knees thanking God from the depths of our being that we're able to do this. Because he says, the, uh, the time between this and the time of utter loneliness may be much nearer than we imagine. The second point that he makes in this first chapter, or at least one of the other points that he makes that's tremendously important, he, he warns about what it, is that, um, what it is that can destroy community. Of course, persecution can scatter community. Um, but he said there are inward dynamics that can tear the community apart from the inside. And he summarizes it in this way, that uh, when you have a situation where people love their dream of community, where people love their particular vision of church more than they love the church, that's what destroys community. Uh, and that, I think that is the, probably the number one challenge of the church in the United States because that's our starting point. We start, that's how we start our approach to the world concerning church. What kind of church are you looking for? What kind of church would be just right for you? What's your dream about a church that would be a good church for you? We'll, we'll provide that. We'll, we'll serve that up for you. We've got that. Yeah, my thought is, you know, good luck with that. Bonhoeffer says, because no matter where you go, it may seem like your dream church, but then you start running up against other, you know, you run up against preachers who have all their flaws. And you discover that some of the people that you really liked early on, they can be really annoying. It can be hard to deal with. I'm not talking about your church, but, you know, some churches are, <laughs> some churches are like that. And it's this, this dream, people run up against this and they just say, you know, well, this isn't my dream church. But we sell ourselves as churches that we're, you know, what are you looking for? We'll meet your needs. We'll be your church. Here's what Bonhoeffer says. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the community, even though his personal intentions may, ever, may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary idea of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brothers and God himself accordingly. Pretty, pretty strong words. And, and still pretty contemporary. Bonhoeffer's point is that our community is in Christ. What makes community possible is not that we're such delightful people and the, and the more you get to know us, the more you'll just think, aren't Christians wonderful? What unites us as people who, uh, who are, by the grace of God, together is Christ. Christ is our community. In our, in our baptism, in our union with him, in our gathering at the table, uh, that, is, that is how we are together. 
and that is the only thing strong enough to keep us together, and that is the only thing that will make us love each other more than we love our dream of the perfect church. Every time I gather at the table, I gather in fullness, full awareness of uh, all my own troubles and all the troubles of the people that I'm among. But whenever I get, gather at the table, I'm reminded that though I have one foot in that troubled community, I have another foot in the new creation. Uh, gather at this table, we are, we are standing in the age to come. And, and we are all in Christ. And we are all beloved in him, and in him we love one another. Let's pray. Lord, write these words on our hearts. Uh, grant us deep gratitude for bringing us together. Grant us deep love for one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.